Matthew chapter 11 this morning, and uh, we are wrapping up our study of this chapter, and I am sad to see it go. This has been a thoroughly enjoyable section as Jesus has dealt with the rising opposition, and uh, we have been plodding through the last paragraph of Matthew chapter 11 for the last two weeks, and we're going to finish that up today, Lord willing, and uh, we will conclude this study. Now, just so that you know, inside of your bulletin today in the pastoral word, There's an update about what's coming up. We're going to take a pause from Matthew for the next six weeks or so. And we're going to deal with some topical issues that come up consistently. We're calling that the What About series. And just taking God's word and allowing it to speak to those issues that seem to come up again and again in discussion with you and with other believers. And just an opportunity for us as a pastoral team to give some attention to particular issues. We list them out in your bulletin. You can find them there. And we'll begin that study next week, and we're going to look first at what about God's good plan in earthly trials. So David has already done what about eternal reward for the believer, and we're going to follow up uh, some of what we've studied already this month in Matthew chapter 11 with a study of how does God's goodness play in our trials on a daily basis? How is it that I'm supposed to look at God while I'm suffering? And I think that that's a critical question. It has everything to do with your testimony. It has everything to do with the way you relate to others and help others who are grieving and suffering. And so I hope that you'll enjoy this little mini-series that will carry us through the summer And what about. And then we'll look at a number of different issues. But for today, we're going to wrap up Matthew chapter 11. Let's read Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. And I kind of get acclimated, set the table here. Some of this is very familiar. Some may not be as familiar. Let's dive back into Matthew chapter 11. You can follow along as I read out loud. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 20. And these are the words of God. Then he began to denounce, that is Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for us this morning. Let's turn our attention one more time in prayer, asking for God's grace as we study the word. Father, thank you for this precious opportunity that is before us to lay our lives before your word, to bow before you and to acknowledge your lordship and your rightful place as the king of our lives. 
we need to be conformed to the image of your son. The presence of remaining sin is on our minds. It is a part of our experience. We desire to do battle royal with sin this morning. To allow Satan to know that he has enemies at Grace Church. Those who desire to be conformed not to his image, not to the world system in which he reigns, but to the image of your son, to your very character, Father. This is our desire. I pray that you would open our hearts and our understanding. That we would not be distracted by sentimental thoughts. That we would not be distracted by even our environment this morning. That we would give ourselves entirely to this text. And we pray that your spirit would give this text entirely to us. We ask for this on the merit of our Savior's name. Amen. As combat veterans no longer dive for cover when they hear a distant mortar. And as you moms, uh, eventually over time, no longer even flinch at the sights and even smells of what goes on with your children in your presence. So it is with some Bible passages like the one we're going to study today. Right? Familiarity breeds indifference. I think for the soldier, it's not so much indifference, it's just the norm of life. And for the mom who deals with diapers and such things on a consistent basis, it's not that there isn't an awareness of what is there, it's just simply it no longer has the same effect. Or if we want to move it into the ag community, those who run dairies, they just don't understand anymore what that smells like. They say things like, it smells like money, and I said, no, that's not what money smells like. We become indifferent or used to what is familiar to us. That's just a fact of life. And when it comes to the scriptures, there are certain portions of scripture that we are very familiar with if we've been raised in a Christian environment. If we've been raised in a Christian home, in a Christian church, if we have spent any amount of time, we have probably heard and encountered these verses that we're going to study today. But the danger is, is so much greater than just relaxing when we come to this text. But the danger is that we would have a sentimental indifference to this. So much so that we would really miss what is in these verses. I hope that this morning, as we study verses 28 through 30, and as we conclude this chapter, that you will not relax, and that you will not have warm and fuzzies about these verses, because you've known these verses, and they're familiar to you. Not many of us on our scripture memory program in Awana or whatever program we memorize scripture as children. Not many of us learned the woe to Chorus and Bethsaida and to Capernaum. Okay, none of us learned that Sodom would still exist. I mean, that, that was in our scripture memory plan. But this, this was probably in there. This was probably something we've memorized. And this morning when we come to a text like this, I think it is doubly important that we focus our attention and we give ourselves like it's brand new to the text of God's word. So this morning, don't relax. We're in the third of these three truths. We've divided one sermon with three points into three sermons with one point. All right. And we're at the conclusion of the message. This is the third and final truth that Jesus presents to us, beginning back in verse number 20, we saw that the indifferent ones receive condemnation. 
right? Remember this? Those who encounter the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those who were there in his presence, who received his mighty miracles in their face and did not respond with repentant faith. They are condemned. They're doomed. It is worse for them in judgment because the accountability of revelation will be brought to account at the day of judgment. And so we who have had the full revelation of God's word given to us, all that God will say has been said. And we have it in our own language. How much greater our accountability? The indifferent ones will receive condemnation. Last week, we looked at the chosen ones. The elected ones will receive spiritual revelation. What a glorious truth. Jesus turns in gratitude to the Father for his gracious plan, his gracious will to hide from the arrogant and to reveal to those who have been brought to the end of themselves, to infant status, to babes. And so this morning we find a third and final point of this closing section of Matthew chapter 11. And we will look at this truth statement for the remainder of our time. The desperate ones will receive spiritual rest. The indifferent ones receive condemnation. The chosen, one re- chosen ones receive revelation. And the desperate ones receive rest. Jesus offers rest only to those who embrace him exclusively, desperately, and effectively because of his sovereign choice. We say that again. Jesus offers rest only to those who embrace him exclusively, desperately, and effectively because of his sovereign choice. Matthew chapter 11 Verses 28 through 30. Let's look at these verses in detail. Let's examine what's here. And then we'll take an opportunity to look at how these verses come to bear on us. What, what do they mean for us today? How do, they, how do they bear down upon us? Verse 28. Let's read it again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, why is it that we can say that the desperate ones will receive rest from verse number 28, 29, and verse number 30? Well, I believe it split into two uh, reasons, two proof claims that come out of these verses. In verse number 28, we see it's because they come to sovereign Jesus. I mean, the reason that spiritual rest is available this morning for desperate people is because the desperate people in verse number 28 come to Jesus. That, that's the reason that there's rest available. He is the centerpiece of verse number 28. The idea that we find in the first word, come to me, is an imperative, it's a command. And we find a second command in verse number 29, take, and a third command in verse number 29, 29, learn. First one is come, and it has inherent in the word, come here. You come here. Um, I don't know how you enforce this in your home or what tone of voice you use, but at least, moms, you have a tone of voice that when you say come here in a certain way, it means something entirely different then come here in a very casual way, all right? There's notches, and it's like you can turn up the notch, and you mean something different by what you say. So if a car is coming, 
your child is stepping into the street and you say, come here, there's an entirely different tone that reaches your child's ears and you hope that they respond appropriately to it. Jesus here says to the multitude, come here to me. I'm it. There's nothing else to come to. Come to me. There is no simple coming here. This is salvific coming. This is the saving faith of coming to Jesus. And coming to Jesus bears with it the recognition of who it is that we're coming to. We know by this point in Matthew's gospel that Matthew is concerned with really one thing. And that is convincing us as his readers that Jesus Christ is the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the only Savior. He is the exclusive fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecy that there would be a Lamb of glory. That there would be a sacrifice that would be available for the salvation of sinners. So Jesus says, come exclusively to me. He doesn't say, come to the Father. He doesn't say, come to the Spirit. He has just concluded praying. He says, come to me. This is not surprising to us since we know of other portions of Scripture that help inform us. You remember in John chapter 14, Jesus is telling the disciples that he's about to leave and that he's going to depart. And they're scared and they ask him, well, how will we get to where you're going? How, how do we get there? And he says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He says, I'm going to the Father. They say, well, help us know how to get there. And he says, you're looking at how to get there. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And nobody arrives at the Father's presence apart from the person and the work of Jesus from Nazareth. Now notice who he addresses with this. He says in verse number 28, come to me. But he addresses this specifically to a group of people. All who labor and are heavy laden. This is a constant state of being for these individuals. If you can think back, and it is always, always important to think back on how God worked in your life when he brought you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you can think back and rehearse those moments and those days and weeks and however long that was, at some point there was an overwhelming sense of desperation, of weariness, of bearing a burden. There was a sense of desperation that led to only one logical conclusion. I need Jesus. Jesus is speaking to a very specific group of people when he says all who labor and are heavy laden. All who labor, those who toil and work and give effort, and all who are burdened down by something are the ones that he offers and says, you come here to me. That's how this will work and you'll get rest. We get a clue to who he is speaking directly to if we flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 will give us insight after the fact of what Matthew is recording here in Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 23, just a few pages over, we find that these are sinners who are in particular toiling and living under the heavy burden of earning their own salvation. Notice verse 1 of chapter 23. 
Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you. They have a place of leadership, therefore respond to them as leaders, but not what they do. This is unbelievable. Um, Jesus was not a fan of making friends with Pharisees. So he says, uh, they have a position as the leaders in your society. Therefore, observe what they tell you. That is, respond to them rightly. But don't, do not observe or do what they do. Now, why does he say this? For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them upon people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move, to move them with a finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbis by others. The point here in Matthew chapter 23 is the same point that gives us a reference for who Jesus is addressing. The Jewish, belie- the Jewish people who were gathering around Jesus, some of them believing, Some of them not yet believing. Some would be the ones who would cry for his crucifixion. All who gathered around him who were a part of the Jewish community were burdened by the Pharisees. Now, some were completely unaware of that burden. They were happy as can be to proceed working their way towards God, working their way towards righteousness, earning God's approval. But for some, the burden was unbearable. The guilt was inescapable and the toil was exhausting and to them jesus says if you are weary if you are heavy laden you can come to me and you'll find rest but you can only come to me and find rest there is no other place and no other person to come and receive rest jesus is talking about sinners i think one of the things that we struggle with in verse number 28 in considering that the desperate ones receive rest is we think of humanity wrongly when we read verses 28 through 30. Okay, So we think of humanity as a whole in their sinful condition. We consider them all to be heavy laden, all of them to be bearing down with weight, and all of them to be weary because of the toil of their sin and their effort to earn righteousness before God. But that's not the case. If you've ever interacted with unbelieving people and shared the gospel, you have had someone tell you, I have no need. I have no reason to follow Christ. I am doing fine. Life is good. But if you have any relationship to those whom God saves, you know that each and every one of them has come to the conclusion, I cannot go on. I cannot go on without rest. I must have someone or something provide relief. These are sinners that Jesus is addressing. They're dead, Ephesians 2.1. They are the enemies of God, James 4.4. 4. They aren't in any way interested in Jesus, Romans 3.10-14. But if, according to God's sovereign grace... They have come to the end of themselves and they respond in faith coming to Jesus exclusively. Then they receive the promise of the end of verse number 28. And I, Jesus says, will give you laboring, heavy laden, 
person who comes to me, I'll give you rest. This is not just a promise for those who don't yet know Christ. This is the testimony of our existence as followers of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, this passage should resonate with your heart. You have come exclusively to Jesus for salvation. You rest exclusively in faith upon his claims and his work at the cross. Exclusively in his gracious power. In the presence of the Holy Spirit who is with us as his people. And you experience rest. You have a settled confidence in him. That alleviates the pressure of the burden of earning your salvation. This should be your testimony. You either come with these marks of desperation to Jesus alone, or you don't come at all. You see, Matthew here, and something that is so familiar to us, is really hammering home the exact same reality that we've seen since Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is no one in the kingdom who waltzed in, feeling good about life, adding Jesus to the resume. No one. All who come are at the end of themselves desperate. And all who come desperate to Jesus by faith receive rest. This is the testimony of our Lord himself. We either come to him in desperation or we spend an eternity apart from him in rebellion against him. This is both an exclusive condition and an exclusive savior. Okay? Don't relax because we know these verses. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, communicates to us that the desperate ones receive rest because they come in faith to sovereign Jesus. Now, verse 29 carries on with yet another step. We see it's not just because they've come, but verse number 29 and 30 communicate it's because they take and learn from sovereign Jesus. So there's, there's a bigger picture involved in coming to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, you get rest. In other words, verse 29, take my yoke and learn from me and you get rest. Okay, so what does coming look like? Well, it looks like verses 29 and 30. What does it mean to come to Jesus? It means taking his yoke. And it means learning from him. And ultimately means receiving spiritual rest. That's the promise of these verses. So looking at verse number 29 and seeing that there is taking and learning going on. Let's read this verse and give our attention to the details. You should take my yoke upon you. You must or you take commanding us in verse number 29. 29 take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why would we do that? Because of the character of Jesus, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This call is extended beyond coming to Jesus in some mere ascent of who he is. This is not just a recognition at Grace Church in a service that, yes, I buy it. Jesus is the Messiah. This is the explanation of what it is to be desperately coming to him exclusively. We find the word yoke here, and I, I'm, I'm fearful that we probably have the wrong connotation when we read, take my yoke upon you, right? We only have really, at least in my experience, there's only one visual of yoke, and it's this massive wood 
connection piece between two cows of some makeup. And they're pulling something really heavy on the back of it. Okay? And it basically makes those two animals go in the same direction. The Jewish mind looked at the yoke as a totally different concept. Now, the same picture may have applied. They used yokes. They, they definitely held two things together. But the yoke concept was used by the rabbis who would be teaching the multitudes who were around Jesus to talk about the whole of one's instruction. So there were such phrases as the yoke of the law. What does that mean? Well, that means I partnered up with all of the law and I'm under it. I'm going with the law, the yoke of the law. Jesus uses the same terminology that they would have been familiar with, with an agricultural picture in mind, but with the rabbi's instruction and illustration and saying, take my yoke upon you. In other words, if you come to me desperately, that means you take all of my instruction. It is what you partner with. It's what you submit under. This is yet another exclusive claim on our lives from our Lord Jesus, and rightfully so. Rabbis use this yoke as a metaphor for school. Jesus says, my school is easy. Come to my school. Put on my yoke. Partner with my teaching. And you will find yourself receiving spiritual rest. He goes on to say that they not only need to take the yoke, but in verse number 29 we see, learn from me. He goes on in verse number 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now, it seems that on the surface, this is pretty easy. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with learning from Jesus. But understand, again, in the context of what Matthew is recording and the purpose with which Matthew is recording these words from Jesus, Jesus is saying, I'm it. You come to me if you're desperate and you'll receive rest. You take my yoke and you'll receive rest. You learn from me and me alone. And you will know the restful way. To come to Jesus is to be yoked by Jesus and to learn from Jesus. Jesus' disciples are his learners. I guess this morning it's, it's a good pause point to say, is Jesus really my primary teacher? Is the word that he has preserved for me the real, really the primary teacher of my life? Is it, a, is it sitting in a preeminent place? It is the mind of Christ that I want to desire. I desire more than anything to learn from. It is the words of Christ that I sit under more attentively than any other. That is the whole of scripture. This is the heart of true discipleship. Desperation. Receiving grace from Jesus. Because Jesus is exclusively come to. He is followed. The yoke is put on. And he is learned from. The word learn from me is very closely connected to the word disciple. It's, it's the same concept. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower of the master. Jesus says here, if you are weary, if you are desperate, if you're at the end of yourself... You find me, you find rest. But it will cost you everything. Now notice the character of Christ. He explains this is only reasonable multitude, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is where we, again, struggle with what we already think this passage speaks of. And our culture doesn't help because Jesus generally is portrayed 
as someone less than rugged, manly, and tough. He's less than what a Jewish carpenter would be. Um, We see him as something of a wallflower. He's just a very peaceful human being who glides along kind of in his robe with his beard flowing back. And he talks to people and he hangs out with sad people. And those are all true things, except he was he was not. He was not a wimp. He wasn't. Jesus was a man's man. And yet the character of this man's man, this one who used his hands for his livelihood until his ministry began, this one who would suffer such physical torment, we could never understand. We would have easily passed out before we could ever grasp the pain and suffering that Jesus experienced. He was a man's man, and yet his character was meek and humble, as opposed to the Pharisees who were burdening the people, who were not meek and humble. They were not gentle and lowly. They were dominant, mean, unkind, and arrogant in every way. Jesus says, I'm the opposite. And the paradox of these Jewish minds and the paradox for us is that the character of Christ being humble and gentle and kindly is entirely the reason why he is the only one who can provide rest. Jesus sets himself apart from the human leadership model. He'll do this repeatedly. The last will be first. The least will be greatest. The servant is the leader. John chapter 13. Jesus takes the towel. He takes the bowl of water. He begins to wash feet. And he says if you don't get this. Then you're not getting me. The servant is the master of all. So Jesus says here. He is gentle and lowly. That should infuse the hearer. Who is given ears to hear. With confidence. That the final phrase of verse number 29. Is trustworthy. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is no tyrant. He is a kind and humble, authoritative, exclusive king of his followers. Jesus offers this second promise similar to the first. He concludes with another phrase on the end. I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus and Jesus alone is the end to the unrest for your soul. This is the fruit of coming to him, of taking his yoke, of learning from him. Your soul is put at rest. This is a good spot to pause and consider that this is not a health and wealth passage of the Bible. This is not come to Jesus and life gets easy. If you expect A life in Jesus to be a Sunday afternoon. You have misunderstood what Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 speak of. He says, rest for your souls. The weariness of earning your salvation. The weariness and the burden of earning God's attention is over in Christ. He'll take that upon himself. And the yoke that he gives you and the teaching that he gives you. The burden that he places upon you will be merely obedience out of affection for His grace, and it will be light in comparison. There will be rest for your souls in Jesus. John Mack says, Christ will never oppress us or give us a burden too heavy to carry. His yoke has nothing to do with the demands of works or law, much less of 
human traditions. The Christian's work of obedience to Christ is joyful and happy. For as John explains, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, the one who lives in obedience to Christ out of love for the gracious work of Christ on his or her behalf, the one who lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, who gives regenerate life, who provides spiritual fruit from that life. The one who lives in that existence can testify that there is truth in Jesus' claim in verse number, tw- or verse number 30. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is the testimony of the believer. This is the testimony of the desperate ones who come to Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can say my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Come to him alone. Take his yoke alone. Learn from him alone. It's all or nothing. It's black and white with Jesus. What a glorious reminder of the kingdom character that we know from the Sermon on the Mount. End of myself, all of Christ. Take me. I'm coming to you. I'm yoking with you. I'm learning from you. Jesus speaks of our peace and rest under his lordship in contrast to the tyranny of self-salvation in any form. Now, let's think about that. What does it mean to experience rest in Jesus? With trials, Scripture tells us we have joy. You see, that doesn't make sense unless there's rest in your soul. Trials and joy, poverty with contentment. This is a fruit of the rest of our souls. Sickness with hope. Death with hope and without sting. Suffering with fellowship from Jesus himself and his body here on earth. Christ in Christ alone offers this kind of rest. Now let's pause here at the end and consider how this text comes to bear on us this week. Here we are at the front end of the week. We've gathered for the Lord's Day. Many, if not most, of you are followers of Christ. Let's consider how this comes to bear, not just on us as followers of Christ, but on all who are here this morning. Let's begin with you, unbeliever, this morning. If you know nothing of this rest, whether you have professed to be a follower of Christ for decades, if you know nothing of this rest, you may know nothing of the gospel. If you find this text incredibly hard to believe because there is no experience to match this text in your life, let me be the first to warn you. You may never have come to the way, the truth, and the life by whom all who come to the Father come to the Father. So if you're here this morning and you say, well, I profess Christ, but... I know nothing of this rest. I've never experienced this rest. And you have never experienced Christ. This is the direct result of coming to Him. Following Him. Taking up your cross. Yoking with Him and learning from Him. This is the Christian life. It is one of rest. So professors, if you're here, and this is not your confession, come to Christ. 
this morning, come to Christ. If you've never made a profession of faith in Christ, you say, I I don't even know Christ. I don't know anything about this rest. Come to him. If you can see the desperation of your situation, if you understand there is no hope for you, if you are working your way to heaven, none, you'll never make it. There is no one who falls in line with the glorious perfections of God. And he is holy in every way. And as the creator judge, he will stand in just anger against those who have sinned against his character. If you're here this morning and you have never come to the place where you've been broken and brought to the end of yourself and you have turned in exclusively given your life to Christ, do that this morning. Look to him for your salvation. Look to him for your substitution. Look to him for forgiveness. Look to him for righteousness that he earned through perfect obedience in his life. Look to him for a setting aside of your punishment, which he took at the cross. For God made him who knew no sin. Become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians five, twenty one. This morning, if you're here and you have known the rest of Christ, you have known the sweet consolation of falling before Christ in faith. Being granted forgiveness, the burden being lifted. The weariness being wiped away, life being given to your dead heart. Then consider these questions. Have you taken the yoke upon you and found it to be easy? Can you testify to this, that falling under the lordship of Jesus is a joy, it's a delight, it is easy? Have you taken the burden of Christ, of what it is to be his follower, his learner, and found it to be a light one? If you know nothing of the rest... Be sure that you are not like the demons who believe, shudder, and reject. If you've known the rest of Christ, but you find that today you are not experiencing that rest, you're here this morning and your heart is troubled. Your soul is troubled. You're here this morning. You say, I am not at rest. Have you looked at the economy recently? I got no rest. Do you know what happened in my business this week? I have no rest. Do you know what took place in my home, with my family, with relationships? I have no rest. Do you know what I was just told by the doctor this last week? Or what my loved one was just told? Do you understand? I have no rest. Do not be deceived into thinking that Christ has removed this offer from you. Again, we come back to this seemingly simple truth. Preach the gospel again to yourself. Come to Christ. Place your faith in Him alone. Take His yoke. Bow under His authority. And you will experience rest. Will your job be fixed? Will the economy swell to new heights? Will your family relationships be mended? They may or they may not. But you will experience the rest that comes only from the provision of the promised one, the Messiah Himself. Let me take a moment just to warn you of a very real danger. Let's take our Bible. Let's conclude in Galatians. Flip to Galatians, if you would. Let me show you a group of people who are just like us. 
If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, Galatians chapter 3. Let me warn you that if this testimony, this promise of Jesus to provide rest is seemingly absent from your experience, this may be why. The Galatian believers received this letter from the Apostle Paul and he says to them after explaining and defending himself as an apostle, the glorious gospel of Christ. We begin in verse number one. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. If you're here this morning and you are not living in the rest of Christ, you may be a foolish. A foolish Christian. Now, what makes a foolish Christian? Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That is through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you understand what Paul's questions are? What is a foolish Christian? A foolish Christian is one who is aware of the grace of God that gave them life, that revealed the person and work of Christ to their blind eyes, who opened their ears to hear the message of the gospel, who have known the regenerating work of the Spirit as they respond to repentance and faith. And somewhere along the line, in the forgetfulness of sin's presence, they have begun to work their way closer to God. They have begun to look at spiritual growth, development in the Christian life as their responsibility exclusively. It's up to their ability. It's up to their strength. And if you're here this morning and you have basically gone to the Pharisees and said, I'm a follower of Christ by faith in the finished work that he accomplished at the cross, but go ahead and throw a load on my back. I'm going to work my way closer. I'm going to work my way into more favor with God. Then the Apostle Paul warns you, you, along with the Galatian believers, have become a foolish Christian. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can approve upon what you couldn't start and what you cannot finish. We are to be working out our salvation. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, because God is at work in us. Therefore, our obedience must be done in faith in the finished work of Christ, dependent upon grace and affectionate because of grace. Grace must be be our motivation or we are simply slipping the load back on our shoulders as those who have received a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light and we are adding to it our own flesh for our growth don't be deceived don't fall into the trap receive this morning whether you're an unbeliever or a believer the glorious promise of christ come to me christ says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And with those words, Matthew concludes this 11th chapter. He allows those words just to sit without conclusion. As should we this morning considering if we are living the easy life with Christ. Is our soul at rest? Father, use this text, we pray, in our hearts. May we examine our lives 
If we are here this morning as your people and we are straining hard, we are living with burdens on our hearts of meriting righteousness before you, of earning our closeness to you, desperate to somehow do something that would please you. If we're here this morning for that very purpose, surely, God, you've noticed that we're at church. Teach us to look again at Christ to see him in all of his glory, in his substitution for us. May we be overwhelmed again by his grace. May we trust again his promise to provide for our growth. May we join with you in the process of our sanctification because of grace and in grace so that we receive no glory and you receive all glory. (coughs) This is our prayer this morning. We ask for your spirit to drive the sword deep into our hearts. That it would heal the wounds. That it would give rest where there is unneeded burdens. And Father, we pray for those who are here this morning who may or may not profess to follow Christ, who have never known the ease of the yoke of Christ, who have never known the life of learning under Christ, who have never truly come to Christ. Would you break their hearts this morning? Would you crush them under the power of the perspective of seeing their sin compared to your holiness? Would you break them down so that they might be desperate and in turn receive rest as they come to Christ? This is your work alone. Yet we know that you are capable and you are active in saving sinners. Do that work we ask this morning according to your plan. We praise you for this text. We thank you for this chapter that has been such a clear call to us. May we live in obedience, not hearers only, but doers of your perfect word. This we pray for the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ through our lives. Amen.